Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen. So good. Nua looks good, doesn't it? Um, like the three amigos on the video, so um, I have to I text them earlier. So uh, it's all good, and it's going to be a great time together. And uh, I'm excited about it too. I think it'll be really good and good to be together. Um, something else in my head I wanted to say, but I forget what it is. It'll come back to me. All right. Um, yes, what I wanted to say was about the kids' ministry. You know, we 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 put the the thing out there at the beginning of the year, about a thousand lives. We did this at Celebrate Craig Evan, that uh, could we believe for a thousand lives? And um, the kids are paving the way at the minute. And um, there's been three kids saved this year, two adults and three kids, so they're still paving the way. So yeah, five, five, five souls, so it's beautiful. Let's give that a wee round of applause. Come on. Mm. It's only 995 to go, so uh, no pressure. Um, uh, really, really good to be on our theme on the, the key verse, which is John 14, 6, which is at the bottom of the screen there, that Jesus said these words himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as you know, we've been teaching on the ways, Dave and I, over the last four months. And then this season, we decided that we would... Um, look at the truth, some of the words of Jesus. We're going to base that in Matthew's gospel around, um, around the idea of the um, parables. And um, then after Easter, we'll, we'll go into that third little part, the life, looking at the life that he desires for us all to live. And so when we get the ways of God in our life and we get the words of God in our life and we actually get the very life of God in us, then uh, the world is your oyster then, isn't it? So I'm looking forward to that. This morning, what we're going to do, we're going to look at the parable of the sower. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Matthew 13 or look it up in your app. I'd love you to follow me in it, if you would. Um, Matthew's gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. It's written mainly to the Jewish community. Um, Hence, he uses a little phrase, the kingdom of heaven, rather than the kingdom of God. So he's thinking about his audience. Um, So it's a Jewish gospel, really. Um, and refers a lot to the kingdom, hence it gets the name, the gospel of the kingdom. Um, If you want to know about um, Christ as king, then this is the gospel to read. You'll find more references to the Old Testament than all the other three gospels combined. You'll find more references to the Old Testament in the book of Matthew. It connects all of what's in the past in this first gospel. It's a very powerful gospel, and hence we want to Um, delve into a little bit of the red letter uh, aspect of it, the words of Jesus. Matthew 1, or Matthew 13, verses 1. We're going to read through to verse 23. I'll skip out a few verses in the middle, but um, bear with me. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Interesting that before there were such things as these, as mics and amplification, Jesus knew natural amplification. Of course, he's the creator, isn't he? And natural amplification follows or 
is powerful over water. That's what you hear more than anything. So he knew when he got into a boat and pushed out a little bit from land that he could speak in that natural amplification. He would have almost like his own theater. Um, pretty incredible. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil and sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell in good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever is here, ears, let them hear the... Um, let them hear, this is, this is one of the ten times this little phrase is mentioned in the New Testament. Whoever's ears, let them hear. And then it says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak in, to people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And then there's a little section there, there's five verses that sort of unpack basically why he speaks in parables, but we're going to look at that in a moment. So jump down to verse 18, and then he explains what the parable is about. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, They last only a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes their way, because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling in good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Lord, we love your word. We thank you for it. We pray, God, as we read it, that the reading of it will sow into our hearts a seed that will produce much fruit. And so, God, we thank you that your word never returns void, but always accomplishes that for which you've sent it. So I ask you to bless it to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give a little bit of context to where we're at earlier in the day. Um, If you go back a few verses into chapter 12, you'll find that Jesus had a confrontation with the Pharisees um, and religious lawyers and leaders about his claim that he was the Son of God. Um, They weren't very happy about that, and especially when he told them that there was a great gulf that separated them from the kingdom. And uh, they couldn't just bring themselves to believe that that Jesus was the Messiah. And um, therefore, then at the end of chapter 12 as well, you'll see that there was a demand from his mother and his brothers, who came, obviously, I think, to talk him into a bit of sense. They were there to try and persuade him, I imagine, to come home, to, to, to sort of give it a break and come home. They still, at this moment in time, his brothers didn't really realize what was going on. Um, and so um, it's funny that Jesus actually decided, he declines their special access, really, and he says, who is my mother and my brothers are not these, my mother and brother. And then he defines his mother and brothers. He says, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my brother, my sister. All right, so Jesus had cast out many demons. He had healed the sick. He had taught the precepts of the kingdom, but they still didn't understand. And soon Jesus would leave Galilee 
and he would set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem to face more oppression, and then eventually, of course, the cross. So how was he... How was Jesus to get this message of the kingdom of God through to these crowds? What was he going to do? These people were full of expectancy. They were hanging on every word that he said. And the word kingdom had sort of excited them. They'd, 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 they'd got this common expectation that this dynamic messianic figure would, would ride in on his white horse and he would drive all the Roman oppressors out and and would return their national pride. That's what they were expecting. But the extraordinary thing is, Jesus didn't choose that route. Uh, actually, he just told them a story. <laughs> I love Jesus, don't you? He just told them a story, a parable. And uh, that's the context of Jesus addressing the crowd and about their entry into the kingdom. And what's more, it wasn't just a straightforward story. It wasn't, it was more of a riddle actually. And his closest friends, even the disciples, got puzzled by it and asked him why he's speaking this way. And his, his reply is even a little bit more perplexing. That's why I didn't read that section because there's a preacher in his own, that five verses in the middle of our passage today. But you'll find that um, what he says, I put it on the screen here. He says this, he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, and though hearing they may not understand. What does that mean? Well, um, it was a quote from Isaiah, the prophet, and, and, and we see it in verse 13 here. And Jesus had often said, He who had ears, let him hear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the church. But these people, many of them, weren't willing to listen to the words of Jesus. And by their own actions that cut themselves off from the kingdom and from God's revelation of his kingdom. And the aim of parables, hear me in this, the aim of parables was to draw out from the masses the few who would grasp the teaching of Jesus. Let me say that again. The, 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 the aim of parables was to draw out from the masses the few who would grasp what Jesus was actually really driving at. And so these fascinating stories, I find them incredibly fascinating because there would be a window of understanding. There would be the filter. There would be the filter to separate two types of people. They would separate the believer from the unbeliever. This is gospel stuff. If you want a good gospel message, this is gospel message, right? This is A-class stuff. Two types, heaven or hell. Saved or lost? <laughs> there's, there's, there was no middle ground here. And these stories would filter and separate these two types, the believers in Jesus and those who rejected him. And parables revealed truth to those who were hungry, and it concealed it from those who were too lazy to look for it. And, and, and maybe the ones that were blinded by hatred and prejudice, and uh, they were too filled with that actually to discern the truth, and tragically heard the message, but weren't saved. Hence the little verse, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called and few are chosen. We'll look at that in a, mo in a moment or two. And so God's word brings to light those who look for it. And, but for those who don't, the darkness actually just intensifies. Darkness gets darker and darker because it's our choice. And uh, we must come to the scriptures with an open heart and a, a receptive mind, genuinely willing to know and hear what God wants to speak into our life. And to those, to those of you who are, have braved um, storm care today, to you, God says, he will reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. 
That's the beautiful thing. He will reveal those secrets. So the parable of the sower and the seed and the soils was probably the first parable that Jesus told. And it's the foundation parable of the kingdom of God. And, and through the detailed explanation given, actually Mark, when he writes his account of this parable, says that unless you actually know this parable, unless you actually understand this parable, you miss everything else. If you miss the actual gospel resp- representation of this parable, he says you won't actually understand the other parables. And so the disciples were, and, and, and Jesus' circles of followers were, were asking him what this meant. And, and they were ready for the manifesto of the kingdom. They were sort of, right, Lord, give us a document. Give us a dossier of how this kingdom works. And, 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 and it turned out to be a simple lesson in gardening. <laughs> That's what Jesus does. And, um, and, but behind the, the imagery of the sower and the seed and the soils is there are some Solomon serious truths. And you can imagine that Jesus just took this from a real life story, really, um, Last May or last June, we were in the Holy Land, led, Maureen and I led a, a trip there, and it was an incredible time, and we're leading our second trip, well, my second one, I think this morning's eighth or ninth, but her and I are leading a trip again in May next year. We go on the 19th of May next year for 10 days, so if anybody would like to go. And that was one of the most incredible moments for me to stand in a boat in the Sea of Galilee and see um, where the... The, the, the maniac of Gadara would have ran to Jesus as he come to the boat. To see all these places was pretty incredible. And you can imagine that Jesus is in a boat. He sees this, a, a, a sower sowing seed, and he sees this seed falling in these different places. And he thinks, ah, oh, here's, here's, here's a classic parable. Because you see, the classic definition of parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And it tells us in familiar human terms something about God's reign here on planet earth and his terms of salvation to us. That's just what a parable is. And, and so let's get into it. So a few questions. Number one, who is the sower? Well, in this story, there's no doubt that it's Jesus. He's been teaching the crowds. Unique sermon in the mount has just finished. He's healed the sick. He's pointed to all the great works of deliverance um, and, and all of that. He's sown the seed as he traveled the country. He, about the good news of the kingdom, he's fulfilling what was prophesied of him. In Isaiah 61, his words then in Luke 4, he attained that the spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach the good news to the poor, to, to, to set at liberty the captives, to bring sight to the blind, on and on, and to release the oppressed. And he was clearing up any misunderstandings of God's message over the centuries. And he was, he was saying that this kingdom, this kingdom, guys, is coming in seeds, not in swords. <laughs> it's coming with God's revelation and his mysteries, not with human wisdom. It's coming with changed lives through the redemptive nature of God and not people who live under Satan's dominion. And so the sower symbolizes not only Jesus, but every representative of the gospel down through the years since. And, and in every age, God has called men and women to be his faithful messengers. I love how Alexander McLaren puts it. He says that a parable is both history and prophecy because it tells us of Christ's own experience and it foretells his servants. So there's something about this beautiful thing of being able to sow the seed so we can see the sower in this story as Jesus, but anybody who proclaims the message of the gospel. And then, of course, what is the seed? Well, Jesus himself gives us the key to understanding 
how the kingdom of God can be found because he says in verse 19 that the seed represents the message of the kingdom. So the seed is the message of God's word and the gospel, this gospel of God is all centered in around the Lord Jesus Christ as the only savior of the world. And so we need to remember that the written word at this time was only consisting of the Old Testament. So remember how Jesus on the road to Emmaus actually started with Moses and the prophets and taught about himself to these two people. And we are privileged by living now in uh, the complete canon of Scripture. Um, We have it in every contemporary language you can think of. And the Word of God is the life-giving seed waiting to be implanted into every being of those who hear it. That's why we did the devotionals. We weren't weren't, um, short of time and something to do. We did the devotionals because we wanted you to get into the Word of God because, and you remember the little video I showed last week, there's been interest, or the week before maybe it was, about the, the Word of God, if you're in it over four times a week, up to four, no real effect in your life. But when the, the, the guy said when it hit four times a week, it spiked off the radar that something of this Word of God, when it's implanted into the heart, changes lives. That's why the Apostle Paul could put it this way. He would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the very power of God unto salvation. There's power in this. There's power to change lives. And so that's really important. And so the Bible, the Bible needs to be the central theme of every church. It needs to be the central agenda of every Christian believer. And it's a seed that saves, but for that to save, it has to be received. There has to be a receptive nature to that. So that leads us to ask the question, what about the soils? We know that the sower is the people who tell. The seed is the message of the kingdom. What about these soils? What is it about these soils? Well, it's obviously it's obvious that the soil is a human heart. And Jesus describes one sowing, but four different soils, which explains why people actually respond the way they do. So neither, you need to know this, that neither the sower nor the seed can change the soil. All right? Neither the sower nor the seed can change the soil. The same sower and the seed produce no fruit, some fruit, and much fruit. All right? Depending on the soil. So, of course, we must do all we can to be effective in our in a, in a source by prayer and preparation. We need to understand that. We must present the seed and the scriptures in translations and in language and in terms that are relevant to the people that we're seeking to help. There's no point of talking in the air somewhere where people don't get it. And when all said and done, the Apostle Paul said this himself in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, he said that it's not actually important who does the planting. And it's not actually important who does the watering. What is important is that God gives the increase. And so there's something about that. And so Jesus began his explanation of the parable by by explaining the difference in the soils. Let's go through them really quickly. So the first one was the seed along the path. Fields in Palestine, I noticed this when I was there last year, they're small. They're separated. They don't have hedges. They're separated by little paths. And the little paths are hard beaten. They're sun scorched. They're trampled by foot. And they're hard as concrete. And the, with the trampling of human feet in the summer sun, and the sower walks down this field, and some of this lands in this hardened path. And the birds came and just ate it because it didn't penetrate into the ground. And Jesus in his... Um, 
in his explanation of this, said that, that that's the, the evil one comes, like the birds of the air. He comes and he snatches away the good seed. And these are the people who clearly say no to the gospel. They sadly, they hear the word, but it just rolls off them like water off a duck's back. Um, they think they're being clever sometimes. They think they're acting maybe a wee bit more sophisticated and not taken in by all this kingdom of God, salvation, redemption, superstition stuff. And the devil is all over this like a rash. Every time the word of God is exposed to people, the devil will discredit it. He will do whatever he can to distract their attention from the word of God. So that's the path. And then there was some seed that fell on the rocks. Now on the rocks, there was a thin layer of soil allowing seeds to germinate, but the plants could never get good roots. And when the the sun beat down, they just withered and died. And Jesus said, it portrayed the man who hears the word with joy, but since it has no root, he lasts only a short time. What's he saying? It's possible. It's possible to make an enthusiastic initial response, but it doesn't last because it's just all emotion. And the cost of being a Christian hasn't been counted. And in a time of trouble or persecution, it's evident that the profession of faith has been superficial. I used to be a lorry driver and I used to work into a plant all the time. I drew for a PVC company in England. And, and I remember this place that I would draw into all the time in the lab. There was a guy worked in there called Tony and I found out after a while that he was a Christian and him and I would share verses and we would talk about faith and stuff like this. And then one day I went in and I said, well, Tony, how's things going? And he says, Phil, I've packed it all in. And I said, you What? And he says, I've packed it in, faith, I've just, uh, I've decided it's not for me. And I said, Tony, you don't pack faith in. And he goes, well, and I learned that his marriage had hit the rocks, some things had come into his life, difficulties, but there was no root, you see, no root. And so when the difficult times come, there was no root of salvation in his life. There was no genuine faith built in his life. And so there's something about building into your life. That's why the Word of God is so important. The Word of God, because tough times will come. I'll guarantee it. I'm not being a prophet of doom, but it's just life. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, and bad things happen to good people. And if you haven't built a strong faith foundation in your life, then when a wind of adversity comes, it just blows you off the perch. There's something about putting stuff in the well. I did a a podcast for Alan Wilson on leadership, and he was going a little bit over my journey and my story over the years, and he said to me, Phil, what's the one thing you could say that kept you going, kept your, your, your head above water in the difficult and cruel times? And I said, you know, Tony, or, or Alan, I said, I think that probably I'd stuff in the well. I'd loads of stuff in the well. The Bible was, was core to my life, and so it was there, and when it's in that's why I keep saying to you in John 8, 32, you know, you shall know the truth. And when you know it, when it's in your mind and in your heart, when tough times come, it's not hard to draw from the well. And you draw out of that well. And there's something about that. And when, when the cost hasn't been counted, then the profession is just superficial. And these people who respond with uncertainty to the seed of the word are the yes and no people. The first type is the no these are the yes and no. They want to keep a foot in both camps, but when the winds of adversity come, they usually fail. So the path and the rock, and then the seed among the thorns, all right? This refers to the soil of the heart, where a person, it says, hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. 
Now, this person answers to the call. If the first one says no, and the second one says, well, yes and no, these people say no, and these people say yes, but. <laughs> yes, but. And, and what happens is their life becomes clogged with weeds and materialism and, and worldliness and the rival interests zap their energies. And whatever stage of life you're at, there are always distractions, Western civilization, which result in spiritual immaturity and development. And if we disobey what God intended, ignoring the maker's handbook, then the, the, the Bible, we can, we can get the logical result, loss of vital contact with God. Christian, yes, perhaps, but very, very nominal. Very, very nominal. And the seed that fell amongst the path, on the rock and on the thorns, in each of these three types, the Word of God doesn't just operate mechanically. All right? It's, it's however true the Word of God is that you hear, hardness of heart or lukewarmness towards God is a desperately serious disease. I'm going to talk about this in a moment. And it needs to be avoided at all costs. So when, 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 when God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel in, in 36, 26, and he said, I, I could put a new heart in you. I could take out the stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. But there had to be a receptivity. Had to be something that we still need to be willing to receive the treatment or it won't work. And that's why God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are both really important. And I, I've shared this a few times. I drew this up. This is like Blue Peter. This is one I did earlier. Um, and and I, I've got into trouble for doing this, actually. I've got into trouble in some places for doing this because some people say it's just too simple. But I, I like simplicity. And I think the Bible is a simple book for simple people like me. All right, and so here we have John 3, 16. We have the funnel effect of the gospel. For God so loved the world. That's the sovereignty of God. God loves everybody. There is nobody on planet earth that is not called. <laughs> Some people say there's a call of God in your life. God's call is to the world. For God so loved the world. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and live. So that's the sovereignty of God, all right? But when it comes to the middle of it, verse, it says that whosoever believes, all of a sudden it reverts from God's sovereignty to man's responsibility. You must answer the call. So people say, well, you know, does it not say that God chose me before the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world? That's Ephesians 1.4. Yes, it does say that. But if you don't choose his choice, <laughs> do you hear me? God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are like two train tracks. That, that never cross, all right? And, and upon those two train tracks runs your life. And, and even when you're a believer, God's sovereign is that you're his child. You, you are a kingdom kid, but you have choices to make. And if you make wrong choices, then the, 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 there's, a conf, there's a conflict between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of you, the human. And so it's really important that we make Wise choices, and it's so important that we understand this because the fact is that we need to choose wisely. Isn't that whenever the blue pill and the red pill, and you know, all right, come on. right? So, um, so the seed of the world, the seed of the world, we need to be careful about these. And then he goes on and he talks about good soil. He talks about good soil. He says, uh, 
The soil can't change from bad to good itself. And, and, and the soil of our hearts, I think, is dependent on the sovereign grace of God. Of that, I have no doubt. And it won't be hard and unresponsive and uninterested in the message and bored by the Word of God. Good soil isn't like that. There's something that it's not preoccupied by worldly fears. And the good soil person is the person who hears the Word and understands it. So here's my little thing about the four soils, all right? Here, here I think the seed along the path is a no. The seed in the rocks is a yes and no. The seed amongst the thorns is a yes but. I'm going to talk about that in a sec or two before we finish. And then the seed in the good soil. Yes, I want it. Come on. Bring it on. And, and John, when he writes in 58, he says this. This is what makes you a disciple, that you actually begin to produce fruit in your life. That's what he says is the true sign of a disciple when fruit starts to come in your life. And you, the verse says, by their fruits you shall know them. I grew up with a brethren boy, and they used to say, it's by their fruits you shall know them, not by their suits. All right? And so, um, so perseverance is the hallmark of the truly converted person. People who start to produce fruit, who persevere through the dark times, who persevere through grief and loss, who persevere through sickness, who persevere when times when the chips are down, yielding some 30, some 60, and even 100 times what was sown. And Jesus as ever ends the parable on a note of challenge, and he says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the great sore is asking, what kind of hearer are you? What kind of hearer are you? Is our hearing impaired by the secular noise of our busy lives? One day, listen to me, one day God is going to hold us accountable to all of this. And, 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 and then we know what mattered. Then we know what mattered and what didn't. We, we, we'll We'll understand what had abiding value and what was just for show. That day will reveal it all. Whatever is done for Jesus' sake will stand the test of what the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3 as the judgment seat of Christ. Those whose work survives will receive a reward. Listen to it. Let me read it. Anyone, 1 Corinthians 3, 12, um, in verse 11, it talks about it talks about, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already laid, Christ Jesus. He's the foundation. And it says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And the fire will show, I, I did a little thing Yesterday, when I was working at this, I started to think of all the things that were going on in my life at the minute, and I started to label them as gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hand, stubble. And the time I'd finished that little exercise, I was just in tears at my desk. Um, it says, the fire will reveal if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Listen to this. This is, this is, this is the judgment seat. This is people who are saved. <laughs> this, is, this, is not, this is not the sheep and the goats. This isn't the great white throne. This is the judgment seat of Christ. All right? It says, um, the builder will be, it says, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. 
That's, we would say, in by the skin of your teeth. Just in by the skin of your teeth. Saved as through one escaping through a wall of flames. I, I, I don't know. I just, it, passages like that scare me. And to create a reverential fear of God for me. And, and, and here's the thing. How sad would it be? How sad would it be if we just, our lives were just all wood, hand, stubble? How sad would it be? Let's go for gold. Let's go for gold. Here's what Paul could say. The great apostle Paul, I love this. He said, at the end of his life, he's writing to young Timothy. Paul will die shortly after he writes this. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, but the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? Do you long for him to return? Oh, yeah, there's people that you know that aren't saved yet, and that creates all kinds of angst in us, doesn't it? But what about you? What about you? Because here's my little thought. Years ago, I was in the, I, I sailed the sandbars in Loch Ness, and I was coming across Loch Ness. I was reading the Mark 4 um, part of this verse, and when I came in that little phrase where it said, if you don't understand this, how will you understand anything else? It caught me, and I thought, I need to figure this out. I need to get to know what because there's a knowledge of this that actually unfolds the rest of the parables on all the other sayings of Jesus. And I began to study the soils, and here's my theory on the soils. My theory in the soils is this, all right? Um, the, I think the seed on the path are people who say no. I say the seed in the rocks are people who say yes and no, no root, no salvation there, no, no true manifestation of the word of God in their lives. But you see the people among the seed among the thorns? I think there's many of our believers are in that category. I think they're genuinely believers. They're the saved as by far believers. And they're just caught up in the distractions of life. And we live in Western civilization. We live in the day of smartphones when people spend eight and ten hours a day. Look at your screen time and your phones. I looked at mine recently. I was disgusted with myself. And I just thought, oh, you know, 14, 15, 20 hours a week. And you think, holy smokes, like that could be spent in the Word of God. It could be spent on my knees praying for the lost. And then you wonder, we haven't seen a thousand souls saved or spent their time on our smartphones. I'm not trying to get all religious and legalistic, but there's a call. There's a call to sort out the weeds in our life. And there's a call, to, there's a call I think, this morning. What I'd love us to pray for, so Holly's going to come and we're going to pray. Um, what I'd love us to pray for is I'd love us to pray against distractions. I just think that distractions is one of the, and distractions aren't necessarily bad things. Now, if there is sin in your life and it's a distraction, then you need to deal with it. See the seed amongst the thorns. I say this with all love and with all care, actually, but I've stood at far too many bedsides of people who I think made a genuine commitment to faith but just couldn't deal with their demons. Just couldn't deal with the stuff. And eventually, it destroyed them and killed them. Will they be, are they saved? Yeah, I do genuinely think they are. 
there. 2 Corinthians 3.14, people. And that kills me at times because I think I want for them to be, that they're able to say, like Paul, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. And, and I'd love us just to take a minute or two and I'd love us to pray against distraction. It might just be stuff. It might just be the busyness of people before business people who said to me that just their busyness of their life. Mum said to me about young families, and I know seasons of life are all, all different, and there's no condemnation in this because seasons of life are really, really important. And for you moms who are doing an amazing job, and like what you do raising the next generation is God all over the thing. So give yourselves a wee bit of slack in that. But um, I'd love us to stand a wee minute or two. Can we do that? We're going to sing in a moment, but just in the stillness of the last five, six minutes of our service, and, and this morning you're feeling that, uh, you know what, it's just, there's just been far too many distractions lately. Just too much stuff has taken my attention. And, and you hear people saying at the minute about deleting Facebook off their phones and keeping it on their computers. I think that's a really good idea, actually. Um, so if it's necessary to use for a business tool or something, you do that. But, and I'm not just picking on Facebook, you know, because I know, but just, you, you know what I'm trying to say. And sometimes we just give far too much of our time to the devil. We're always consumed with how we're feeling. We're always consumed with our anxieties and our stuff that's going on. And I'm guilty of this too. Instead of actually our focus on the King of Kings and say, you know what, God, I'm your child. First and foremost, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, then, hey, you're not even in that saved us by fire group. You are lost and doomed and hell-bound. That is desperately scary stuff. So I wouldn't be in your shoes for all the money of the world for one second. I wouldn't chance it. No way. So if that's you today, you need to get up here and get that sorted and get your feet heaven-bound, get your soul in the right direction. That just goes without saying. Um, but it's just stuff. And it's good stuff, not bad stuff, just stuff. And you're saying, God, I genuinely want to, to step out today and say, God, I, I, I want this with all that I, all the fervor of my soul. I want to go for this. And Lord, would you help me to organize these distractions? What I'd love you to do, I'd love you to come to the front. Our prayer ministry team are going to filter through and pray for you. We're not any big fixes, but there's something about responding. And there's something about stepping out and making a bold statement that I think heaven sees and I think hell sees. That's why I love responses. That's why I think it's important. I think hell sees this, and I think heaven sees this. And hell knows that you're serious. And the most beautiful thing is, heaven knows you're serious. So we're going to sing just through once. And um, while we're singing, could you make your way to the front? All right? And let us pray for you. Our guys will, 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 will go through. We'll finish at a quarter to where you can see the... We're still calling for kids' workers. We're short of kids' workers, so we need to honor the pressure they're under. So we will finish at quarter two. We'll keep on praying, but we will finish and let the, 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 the relieve the kids' workers at that time. So let's start moving. Let's come. Let's not take home all our 
busyness and stuff and distraction. Let's come and leave it at the altar this morning. Let's, let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.